0: We've been in a series on our values, family being one of them. Today we're going to be taking a look at lordship and how family and lordship actually, where they collide. We're going to be looking at John chapter 20. We looked at this just a couple months ago, but we're going to be looking from a slightly different perspective. Uh, This is the account where Jesus showed up in the locked up room to his disciples. This is where Thomas got his nickname, Doubting Thomas. And a couple months ago, we talked about how Thomas is no longer regarded as doubting Thomas. He's not regarded as doubting Thomas in heaven. He's just simply Thomas. Or even better, he's believing Thomas. And so uh, we talked about the power of how we're defined and how faith defines us. And it's not our, it's, a, it's what Jesus says about us, not what everybody else says about us. Because if it was up to us, he'd still be doubting Thomas. What a tattoo to have on you, huh? But We're looking at John chapter 20. Verses 19 through 28. Let's jump in. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came, so that the other disciples told them, We have seen the Lord. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is God's word to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us today to understand more about your sovereignty, about your lordship, about your rulership and headship and more about what family is and how it can and should operate in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So the disciples were heartbroken. And they were locked up in this room because, uh, and they were afraid of the Jews because they were associating with Jesus, who was, he died a criminal's death. And when the leader of your gang dies, is crucified publicly, uh, and then the body disappears, right? You're, you're not exactly wanting to be out in public walking around like nothing's happened. So they were locked up and they were afraid because they just weren't sure what was going to happen. They were heartbroken. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, if he didn't rise from the dead, then then he was no different than any other idol that makes promises it can't deliver. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then they gave their life to a lie. They walked away from friends and family. They walked away from their jobs as they knew it. And they followed this man who was a liar. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he's, the promises that he made to forgive sins, the promise that he made to, to bring a new kingdom was as dead as the promise that alcohol makes to satisfy you. It was as, it was as meaningless as the promise that explicit things on the internet makes to give you comfort. It's as, it's as meaningless or as much a lie as, as you know that that relationship gives you, that, that, that lie that says that this person will fulfill you. Lies that, that's a lie that can't be fulfilled by anyone but God Himself. You with me? So if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he's no different than every, every other false idol that, that makes promises it can't fulfill. Like if I told you I was going to give you a million bucks. Can't do it. Not yet. Thank you, Shanique. Big faith. So my hands would go like this, up high and open to receive. Someone asked me this week, what's my favorite story in the Bible? And for me, it's the resurrection. Because there are accounts of his resurrected body in all of the the gospels. But because if the resurrection is true, you can take the rest of it to the bank. Because of the way Jesus affirmed all the other scripture by fulfilling it and by giving credibility to it. So if he rose from the dead, I can stand on all of that. If he didn't rise from the dead, then we're to be pitied. I'm distracted by my own thoughts. I'm sorry. I I was just thinking, I also like the the, the account of Genesis. I like Genesis because in Genesis, God answers questions that wouldn't be asked for thousands of years. And even when he wrote the introduction to Genesis about creation, he he was introducing an idea to people who weren't even asking the question. There was this assumption in man that we always were because we always had been. And God says that in in Genesis that He formed us from dirt. What an obscure thing to say! Can you imagine if if I told you that if my daughter said, "Hey, Daddy, where did we come from?" I was like, "From dirt." It doesn't. It doesn't. How how do you prove or disprove it? You can't. You just got to take it at its word. But thousands of years later, we would realize that our chemical composition, what we're made up of, is no different than the dirt. And if people want to think a little bit bigger, they'll say we're stardust. We're made out of the same stuff that's out floating in space because that's what earth came from is what they'll say, but we're made out of stardust. And it's like that was a surprise to the scientific community that we're made out of the stuff that's found on the ground. But it was never a surprise to the community of faith. That blows my mind. Did I not explain it well? God told us that we were made from dirt. And he's like, Because I formed you out of that. Like with my hand. I spoke everything else into existence, but he formed man out of dirt with intentionality. And he breathed life into him. He breathed the same breath right here in this passage we just read. Pretty cool. Kind of symbol, right? He John yanked that phrase about breathing life from Genesis chapter two. That's just an aside. Guys, I'm gonna encourage myself So we're gonna be one of those churches today. We're gonna be one of those churches. I'm gonna get a little bench. I'm gonna put it right here. <laughs> you'll come on, JC. JC, be my man. But he answered the question before they ever died. And so so if you don't take what the Bible says seriously, what you'll do when you discover that we're made out of the same stuff out of the dirt as the dirt, you'll say, Oh, we must have grown from dirt. Evolution must have done this because we've got the same stuff. And how do you have the same stuff in you that was in the dirt? We must have grown from it where God formed us from it. Did he just say he believes Genesis? Yes. Yes, I did. Because I believe in the resurrection. And what's so cool about the resurrection is that there is a historical Jesus. What's so cool about the, uh, about the resurrection is that Romans guarded the tomb. And if Romans were guarding a tomb, they would have sealed the tomb closed. And they were under penalty of death if what they were guarding was taken away. What I love about the resurrection is that is that nobody, they didn't have a body. It would have been really great. It would have been really easy. So a bunch of fishermen who were scared of, of the Jewish people were going to take on Roman guards and steal a dead body and keep it hidden from the Roman government and from the Jewish elite. It takes a lot of faith. You know, Peter's best weapon, you know, use of a sword was to cut off a guard's ear when they, when they came to take Jesus Peter's like not going to happen you know and he like totally just whiffed on the guy and cut his ear and then they went into hiding they ran away from Jesus when he was up on his up on the cross and so these guys who were hidden had enough courage to take on the roman army roll a tomb or uh, roll a stone that was like rolling car out of the way to pull Jesus this dead man out and then hide his body and make up this story about him appearing and then i guess you know there's a movie about that in there where they no, let's not go there. <laughs> I'm just saying the resurrection's remarkable. And it's, it's, there's enough historical evidence in that moment in the extra biblical sources. That means sources outside of the Bible. People who say, who shouldn't say, like Josephus, who's like, who's not even a follower of Jesus. He's like, hey, yeah, something clearly happened in these people. Because they went from being terrified to being bold and confident, speaking in other languages and starting to do these miracles that occurred. That's why I love the resurrection. That side note note was brought to you by too much coffee. Um, (laughs) So back to uh, disappointment. Um, Violations always, violated expectations always bring with it doubt and distance. Unless we take those thoughts captive, it'll grow into disillusionment, even depression. And I wonder if that's why Thomas wasn't with them. They were all heartbroken. They were all terrified. Thomas was the ride or die guy. He was the ride or die friend. And he wasn't there. I I imagine that he was just that much more heartbroken than his friends. He probably wasn't just out getting milk. And the reason I believe that is because of his response when he hears that Jesus had come, his heart is exposed in that moment. He's like, I could never believe this. It wasn't like, ah, oh, I missed it. I'm sure he'll come back. It's okay, buddy. You missed it, buddy. <laughs> yeah. The kingdom's going to come because he's risen. There was not anticipation or excitement. There was anger and, and frustration and a and, uh, uh, pushing away. I don't even want it. But for as much as he didn't have the perp- perfect response, he stayed with the right people. He stayed with his family. He stayed with his brothers. I, I, I saw this in a blog earlier this week. It said, church is not like a family. Because the word like implies that it's only a metaphor. The church is family. God is literally our father. Jesus is literally our elder brother. This is the right word of the use of the word literally, by the way, in case you're. I hate this word, but he used it right. And we are literally brothers and sisters in Christ. Family is the primary way the church or the early church identified themselves. It's seen by the fact that the word disciple, so prevalent in the early part of the New Testament through the Gospels, Jesus called his disciples and the disciples and the disciples, right? It disappears in the book of Acts and it's replaced by the term brother in Acts. So this thing happened that brought them together and they were no longer friends, they were closer than that. They were family. Even when Jesus was up on the cross, John, the disciple that Jesus loved, was the one that remained, and he was up there and he looks at his mother, Jesus does, and he goes, Mom, this is your son. Brother, this is your mom. And John took Jesus' mother into her home from that point on to care for her as her as his own mother. Because she was his mother. Family is remarkable in that it'll keep you in the right place even if you're in the wrong place until you can get to the right place. Family can create an atmosphere and an environment of hope that sustains you even when you're at loss. Nobody can believe for you but they can move you and encourage you in the right direction, if nothing else, just to be an anchor to your crazy. And the bigger your family is, the more anchors you've got, and the more, you know, that feeling where you, you want to tear away. Yeah, that's love. <laughs> keeping you from stupid. Family also gives context to our Heavenly Father. In family, we have father and mother and brothers and sisters. It gives us context to understand the kingdom of heaven and to understand God as our father. Very often, we don't experience it appropriately or correctly in our personal lives, but it's something that we can experience still imperfectly, but though a more sanctified version of it in this family, in the church, You can find father figures and brother figures and sister figures. In family, we learn obedience. In family, we learn to care for one another and love one another. To serve one another. That's what it was designed for. So Jesus shows up a second time. Actually, hey, side note. (laughs) Again. Jesus, you know the the account where Jesus is on the the sea, and the seas, they all thought they were going to die because a storm came up and he was sleeping, but then he comes up on that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, it happened, okay. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's okay. So there was a storm. Jesus was asleep, and they're like, Jesus, we're going to die. Stop sleeping. He's like, guys, come on. And he comes up, and he's like, why don't you have any faith? And he's like, peace, be still, stop. And the storm stopped if you want to have any sense of how deep the storms of our heart are, he had to say peace twice to them. Their fear was so deep, their uncertainty so violent, they're so shocked. Jesus actually had to say peace twice. Wow. But peace comes. Jesus shows up and answers Thomas's questions. He answers every question that Thomas had and goes beyond I'm sure what Thomas actually ever expected or needed him to say. Proving that he was resurrected, proving that he did have the authority to forgive sins, proving that he did have the authority to heal the sick, proving that he did have the authority even over death. If somebody can overcome death, what can't they overcome? And so everything that Thomas had been trying to suppress, trying to forget, trying to walk away from, rushed back in a moment all the conversations by the campfire, all the conversations at the dinner table. He probably flashed in his mind about Jesus talking about, this is my body, which is broken for you. He remembered the cup of the covenant where Jesus said, this is my blood, which is drunk, which, which, which is, uh, this is the blood of the covenant. This is the, this is the blood of my covenant, take and drink and remembrance of me. He's flashing back through all of these things, culminating where Jesus did that really weird stuff. And then he died and then it all floods back. And he's like, my Lord, my God, it's you. Lord being kurios meaning sovereign ruler god meaning generically god the one that we that we speak of meaning yahweh and so he um so this this statement of him being lord is distinct because nobody had made that declaration yet that he was Lord and God. Have you ever had somebody say that they don't, they're like good with Jesus being a teacher. They're good with him being a prophet. They're good with him, you know, being a good moral guy, maybe a a good leader of a religion. And you're like, but he never called himself God. Well, this is one of those ways that he calls himself God. When you let someone call you God and you let somebody call you Lord and you don't correct them, you got to be a special kind of crazy or a special kind of evil to let people revere you as God and not correct them. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Lord, Liar, Lunatic. Either, either Jesus was a liar, and he was the greatest deceiver of all time. He was a lunatic, and he just was crazy enough to have people follow him, or he was actually Lord. Those are our options with Jesus. If you want another one, uh, another favorite of mine for Jesus declaring his his headship is that in Exodus, in, in, in Exodus it's uh, the the story of Moses. And Moses is walking by this bush, and it's on fire. And, and Moses is like, oh, that's weird, a bush on fire. Let me go look at this and talk to the bush. And there's a lot to be learned there. But I'll just say it, God introduces him. God's like, hey, you're going to go in. You're going to release the Israelite You're going to release the Hebrew people from Pharaoh, and you're going to go, and you don't have any weapons. It's you and Pharaoh against, you know, you versus his whole army. You're just going to walk into the palace. Uh, be, you know, even though you're a fugitive and you're going to walk in and you're going to say let my people go and Moses is like this is crazy who should I say sent me a burning bush a burning bush sent me let my people go behead that man it's foolishness he says tell him I am has sent you and then you ready for this in John thank you Shanique in John chapter 8 Jesus is talking to the unbelieving. He said, your Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and thought, and she saw it and was glad. You're not even 50 years old, they told Jesus. How have you seen Abraham? He said, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was, I am. That was a phrase that was reserved for God because that phrase what it means is i always have been i always am and i always will be i'm not contained by the same kind of time that you're contained by i'm not contained by the same limitations that you're that you're contained by but i always have always am and always will be i am that was a declaration of his godship he did it again in john 8:24 i told you that you would die in your sins if you don't believe that i am You will indeed die in your sins. I don't know. That gets me excited. Is that satisfactory? Does that help you a little bit? So he didn't say, I'm God in English because they didn't speak English. He's, He's stuck with Aramaic. It was translated to Greek. He said it, just not in a way that You'll get unless you're understanding who he was speaking to and why he was speaking, right? And that's why we're here today, so I can help us figure this out together, right? And it's not like I know all this stuff; I I learn it. And then I get up and walk around Starbucks, like, man, that's really exciting. That's really what? Yeah, it happens. And then in John 18:4, in the Garden of Gethsemane, where I talked about Peter taking his swing at the guard, Jesus knowing all that was about to happen to him went out to the soldiers who were arresting Jesus and he said what is it that you want the guard said jesus of nazareth and then jesus said i am he's not like that's me cuz anybody could have made that statement you found him right here i'm your guy take me in i surrender he said i am And when he said, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground because the force of the claim of him saying that he was in fact, Yahweh identifying with that statement that was reserved only for God had so much power and so much efficacy that it knocked the people back. It's exciting. I'm just sorry. I'm going a minute late. For us to call Jesus our Lord means not living by what we understand to be right or wrong. For him to be our Lord means allowing him to dictate what is righteous and unrighteous, what is appropriate or inappropriate, even when we disagree. When we disagree, we ought to line up with God because he's Lord. I don't feel like this is right, God. Well, I didn't ask you if you feel like it's right. My kids don't feel like it's right to eat chicken. Can you believe that, Rosa? It's tragic. They feel like it's right to eat Skittles. They feel like it's right to eat whipped cream right out of the can, and I can't deny that it is. But that's all they want. In the Karate Kid, we see, you know, this kid, he's like, I don't even understand how this is going to make me a better ninja. This is stupid. I'm just waxing on, I'm painting the fence and waxing on and waxing off. doesn't make any sense. I disagree with you, Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> Idiot. You old man. Don't know anything. I'm a kid. I know stuff about things. I'm a ninja in my heart and mind. I can do this. But because even though he disagreed, he got in line with Mr. Miyaga's training. What happened when it was time? It all made sense. That's kind of a weird way of telling you that if you line up with what God is saying, even if you disagree with it at first, it'll make sense later. Just, I was going somewhere that time. You guys are like, man, that coffee. He. <laughs> Even though it doesn't feel right to forgive this person, even though, I don't agree, even though I don't agree that I need to forgive this person, I'm going to agree and maybe it'll make sense later. I know it doesn't make sense that I shouldn't move in with my boyfriend. I don't have a boyfriend. That was for a girl to be thinking that. <laughs> you know, it's, she's got to clarify things. <laughs> got to stay in the example now. Even though I don't agree that it's not right for me to move in with my boyfriend, I need to not move in with my boyfriend. It'll make sense later. Even though I don't agree that I shouldn't look at things on the internet, I'm going to obey because it'll make sense later. Even though I don't know that this is the right way to, to steward my finances, I'm gonna steward my finances this way. I promise you, it'll make sense later. If you gave us all the information at the right time, we still wouldn't, we still wouldn't make the right decision. As believers, we recognize that Jesus has authority over everything that ever has been and ever will be. As disciples of Jesus, we're committed to following his rule and his reign in our lives. Now you may wonder why why the emphasis on lordship and obedience and everything else? Can't we talk about God as Savior? I like that one a lot. I like, I like the Savior part a lot more. I like the gentle shepherd, not the king. You ever feel that way? You're like, I just need I want Jesus who gives me hugs. Not Jesus who might ground me. It's like the good cop, bad cop, happy Jesus, mad Jesus. I want the happy Jesus every time. Salvation, Jesus being, he's the same person, but salvation is a function of his lordship. And that's why lordship, without him being sovereign, without him being lord, without him being ruler, there is no salvation to be given. It would just be the same bad check that we talked about earlier. The same bad check that alcohol writes, but can't deliver. The same bad check that pills promise, but can't deliver. The same bad check that some level of success. Somebody asked, I think it might have been Rockefeller. Somebody was like, how much money do you need to make? How much more do you need? And he's like, just a little more. Forever, just a little more forever. That answer will never change because it's a bad check even money is a bad check which is ironic because it won't satisfy the longing in your soul that thinks you makes you want to want money one more side note and then we'll close they say that past a certain threshold of giving or past a certain threshold of income you're actually not any happier and then past another threshold satisfaction and happiness actually goes down kind of convicting. Tied to that is that people who don't give when they have a little bit don't start giving when they have a lot of bit. That's just stats. I mean, it might resonate in your heart, but that's the reality of the statistics. But people that have little but give continue to give when they have much. Even when it doesn't make sense. God's calling us to celebrate him and to know him as Lord. Part of that is the salvation that comes with his rulership.